the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow to the glory of God the Father. Let us worship God.
Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. I will feed you with the finest of the wheat. Holy God, we praise you as the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your yearning to shower blessings on your people has not changed. As you deliver the people of old from slavery in Egypt, so you deliver us from whatever enslaves us through the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. He endured death so that he could nourish us with the sweetest gift of all, his life. Accept our praise and adoration, we pray, for we offer them in Jesus' name and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning and welcome to our service of worship of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. It is wonderful to have you here with us, whether you are in person or joining us online. I am the Reverend Megan Lacluse, and this morning I am joined in leading our service of worship by the Reverend Jerry Foote, who is our Minister of Congregational Care and a wonderful part of the staff. We see her less up here, but we are glad that she is joining us in leading worship this morning and preaching for us. We also have a couple of guest musicians. Rudy Lucenti, who is leading us by playing our organ for us this morning, and our soloist, Abby Chapman, and we are grateful that they are both here with us this morning. Thank you for joining us. And Andrew has his recital at St. Paul's in London, probably right about now or soon coming up. Is it at four o'clock? I was going to say might be right now. So we are thinking of Andrew playing his recital over there today. After the service, we hope you will join us for coffee hour through those doors down the hall in Old Buttonwood, which is air-conditioned, so even more incentive to join us. We have a new members class coming up in September if you are interested in joining the church. And while the back may look like there's not a lot upcoming right now, just wait till after Labor Day and there will be a whole bunch of things coming up in the life of our congregation that we hope you'll pay attention to either on the bulletin or on our church website and plan to join us for some of those. And now let us continue our service of worship with our prayer of confession. The path of faithfulness, faithfulness is the path of humility. Let us bow before the God who created us and confess the sins that betray us and our faith, first together and then in a time of silence. O oh Lord, you have invited us to your banqueting table, even the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind are here also. Yet we confess not to caring much for our dinner companions. And instead, we seek places of honor at your table with relatives, friends, and rich people surrounding us. Forgive our pride and arrogance 
that would hold us back from full and thankful fellowship with all God's people, no matter their race, nationality, sexual orientation, or economic status. Help us to imitate our host, you, O Lord God, and with loving and generous hearts, welcome all who come to sit at table with us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Do not fear, says the Lord, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our first scripture reading this morning comes to us from the prophet Jeremiah, in the second chapter, starting at the fourth verse. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your ancestors find in me, that they went far from me, and went after worthless things, and became worthless themselves? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that no one passes through, where no one lives? I brought you into a plentiful land to eat its fruits and its good things. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, Where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The rulers transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, once more, I accuse you, says the Lord, I accuse your children's children. Cross to the coasts of Cyprus and look. Send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has ever been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods even though there are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for something that does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and dug out cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that can hold no water. Our second reading comes to us from the book of Hebrews. In the 13th chapter, we will read verses 1 through 8 and then jump through 15. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. 
Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor by all and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. For God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Through him, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that confess God's name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Our gospel lesson is taken from Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. In case someone does invite you, give this person your place, and then in disgrace you would start to take the lowest seat. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. 
for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're all accustomed to certain dinner table practices especially on occasions such as holidays. I remember as a child on Thanksgiving and Christmas, there was a longer table where my father sat at the head with my mother to his left and closest to the door of the kitchen so that she could go in and out. In my younger years, there was a smaller card table for the children. And there I sat with my cousins, longing for the day when I could move up to the big table. Of course, in everyday living, each family has its own seating chart or understood places where members of the family sit. Even after children have grown and left the house, when we return to our parents, we would tend to sit at our usual or understood seat at the table. Consider a state dinner given by the President of the United States that would have a very specific seating chart with dignitaries immediately to the President's right or left and the cabinet members in descending order according to their status in the government. Or think about a wedding banquet. The bride and groom at the head table 
with the best man and maid or matron of honor to their left and right, plus maybe groomsmen and bridesmaids, if there is room, and maybe the parents and the grandparents. As we know, it is all worked out meticulously by the host and hostess. Why is it that so many of our strongest memories have to do with mealtime scenes? In Luke's Gospel, there are more mealtime scenes than any others. As N.T. Wright says about Luke, if his vision of the Christian life from one point of view is a journey, from another point of view, it's a party. Several stories end with a festive meal, like, for instance, the parable of the prodigal son in the next chapter. These things come together in the Last Supper and finally, the story of the road to Emmaus in chapter 24. So, why a meal as setting for so many of Jesus' crucial teachings? According to Cusard, Gaventa, McCann, and Newsom, I had to include all four of them. Eating is essential for life. No one can manage without having a meal. But a dinner with guests is an occasion of social importance to which people of one's class are usually invited and where there is an occasion of implied sharing of values and ideas. The status and rank of individuals are legitimated by their inclusion in the guest list and their location on the seating chart. In our critical 14th chapter of Luke, Jesus' teaching is set on the Sabbath in the house of a leader of the Pharisees. The religious establishment had already been seeking to accuse Jesus of breaking laws regarding the Sabbath. For example, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus did the unforgivable according to the lawyers and the Pharisees. He healed a man with a withered hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now Jesus, at this time, is a dinner guest of a Pharisee leader on the Sabbath, and quote, 
They were watching him very closely. But as the dinner party unfolds, it is Jesus who is really the aggressor, who challenges the lawyers and the Pharisees, who repudiates the guests who jockey for the first couches at the meal, and who instructs the host whom to invite to his next meals. By both ancient and modern standards, Jesus might be called a rude or disturbing guest. The wary Pharisees are reduced to silence. In the first scene, Jesus' warning about striving for a prominent seat and risking humiliation by being sent to a lower seat seems at first glance like no more than a piece of common sense, down-home wisdom. In fact, it can be paralleled by a variety of similar texts in ancient Jewish and Greco-Roman texts. According to Pusar and colleagues, there is nothing particularly distinctive about Jesus' counsel until one reaches verse 11. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is a complete reversal of the reality to which we are accustomed. It is the same as saying that when the North Pole becomes the South Pole and the South Pole becomes the North Pole, a world is overturned. Friends, this is kingdom talk. We are reminded of this in Matthew chapter 20 when the mother of James and John asked Jesus if her sons could sit at Jesus' right and left hands in his kingdom. And Jesus replies, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink cup that I am about to drink, to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Jesus concludes by saying, whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be 
your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, even though we repeat in the Lord's Prayer every Sunday, Thy kingdom come, are we really ready for this new reality within our newly created world? The second part of our passage involves the guest list at the dinner party in Jesus' kingdom. Jesus says not to invite those who will repay you, such as your relatives, friends, or rich neighbors, because then hospitality takes on a self-serving purpose. So then, who would you like to host at your own dream dinner party? My dream dinner guest list might include Abraham and Sarah, Sojourner Truth, Abraham Lincoln, Susan B. Anthony, and Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Now, I know my biases are reflected in my guest list. I guess good conversation and the mutual sharing of values would be most important to me. What does your dream guest list look like? Certainly, to show hospitality is a goal for any hostess or host of a dinner party. Indeed, the writer of Hebrews chapter 13 says in verse 2, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. For the hospitality which so marked the early Christian community must be extended wherever possible. For the hospitality promises with the fascinating promise that in opening your front door, you never know when an angel is going to come through the door at any time. It happened to Abraham in Genesis 18, and it can happen to us any time we open our door. So, who does Jesus invite to his dream dinner party? Firstly, the poor, the lame, 
the crippled, and the blind. These folks are not just unfortunate people. They are, by ancient Jewish law, unclean people and are to be avoided altogether. Jesus is urging us as hosts and hostesses to cross a big boundary and offer hospitality that cannot be repaid, at least in this life. Jesus' counsel fits nicely with the directions God gives Israel in Old Testament Deuteronomy. For example, when the Israelites celebrated the festival of booths, they were to invite their sons, their daughters, male and female servants, and the Levites within their gates. And they were to invite also the strangers or sojourners, the orphans, and the widows residing in the towns. So, to whom has Jesus been talking throughout this discourse and parable? And why these observations and words? He's talking to the religious authorities of his time and those of us in the church today who would tend to watch for any sign of irregularity from other people in other churches or even in our own church and we would then frown upon such actions. And that would not make sense by our actual standards. We are always ready, at the very least, to think some other Christians are not as good as we are. We project onto God our desire to be better than others in the kingdom. And hence, we want to surround ourselves just with people who think and live like we do. Therefore, the parable then isn't so much good advice for social occasions, Though no doubt, within Jesus' world and beyond, there is practical human wisdom in the warning against pride and arrogance. The real meaning is to be found in the warning against pushing oneself forward in the sight of God. In Jesus' day, it was all too easy for the well-off and the legally trained to imagine that they were superior in God's sight. 
to the poor, to those without the opportunity to study, let alone practice the law. But beyond such a meaning, God's great design is to stand the world on its head. Again, as N.T. Wright says, pride notoriously is the great cloud which blots out the sun of God's generosity. And if I reckon that I deserve to be favored by God, not only do I declare that I don't need his grace, mercy, and love, but I imply that those who don't deserve it shouldn't have it. So this is kingdom talk, my friends. We believe the kingdom has already come in the person of Jesus Christ. His words and his deeds have inaugurated God's kingdom on this earth. We also believe that Jesus' kingdom will fully come sometime in the future, when Jesus comes again to our planet to recreate and redeem this world. And in this new creation, the humble will be exalted, and the exalted will be humble. Those around the kingdom banqueting table and in the seats of honor will be the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, and other races and nationalities and genders, and those whose sexual orientation is different from ours and those whose politics or social or economic status is different from ours. As Luke says in chapter 13, then people will come from east and west, from north and south, and will eat in the kingdom of God. So we come to this kingdom meal and we take our seats at the great banqueting table to receive God's love, grace, and mercy, and generosity, both now and in the kingdom to come. As the minister says before we celebrate communion together, this is the Lord's table. Our Savior invites all those who trust him to share the feast which he has prepared. And who is our host? 
Who drew up the guest list? Jesus the Christ, of course. We are on his guest list. And he has invited each of us to this table. Will we take our seat in the lower seat? If we do, perhaps he will call us to a seat of honor in his transformed and blessed kingdom. So we will continue to pray. Our Father, thy kingdom come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha, the Lord is coming again. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength to our God forever and ever. Amen.
let us now together proclaim what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is what our scripture tells us and we remember as we now give our morning offerings.
gracious God, you are a God of hospitality. There is none like you that invites all to come to you. You have invited all to your home, to your table, and to your arms. Lord, would, all, would that all would hear and receive this good news. Lord, help us to remember that no one is better than anyone else in your kingdom. Help us to then treat each other the way you treat people. Generous God, because you treat us with your tender love, we take time to pray for our family and friends, but also to pray for those that we might not, but that you would invite to the banquet table, to those who need you more than ever. Pour out your healing on all who need it. Be generous with your transforming love for those who need it in their lives. Bring forth your reconciliation in families and in places where it is needed. Gifting God, you give us the gifts of the Spirit to use to further your kingdom and to be the body of Christ in the world. We take time to remember those around our world today, living in places that are torn apart by war, or have been felt the effects of natural disasters, storms and wildfires and floods and droughts. We think of refugees and those displaced from their homes. Lord, amidst all of the struggles, we thank you for the restoration that is already taking place around the world. Empower us to continue to be your hands and feet, to continue the work that needs to be done there and in so many other places. There is none like you, God, in your love, your generosity, your gifting, and your hospitality. And we thank you that you are in our lives, working in us and through us, to let people know your kingdom is open to all. In the name of your Son, who opened the doors and broke down barriers that kept people from you, we pray these things along with the prayer he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
place. The Lord invites each one of us. We're on the guest list. It's his dream banquet for you and I to come, along with the poor, the lame, the blind, and the crippled. All of us are invited. Let us be there, bright and early, on time, to feast at the Lord's banquet table. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Thank you.